This is Global Journalist. Today we're going exactly 18 years into the past in the Global Journalist vault to an interview hosted by the late Stuart Laurie with guests from the Committee to Protect Journalists, including Terry Anderson, who was at that point the longest held American hostage. I'm Cassidy Arena with producers Samantha Wagan, Mina Tian, and Tani Wilson. We're going back in time to Global Journalist in 2002. Welcome to Global Journalist on KBIA. This is the program that says mid-Missourians, indeed many Americans, are interested in international news. I'm Stuart Lurie of the Missouri School of Journalism. Today, we depart from the usual format of our program, and instead we convene a session of journalists right here in our studio to discuss two subjects. First, the growing lack of security for people in the news business, as dramatized this month by the revelation that Daniel Pearl of the Wall Street Journal had been murdered in Pakistan. And second, what these people think about why Americans should indeed be interested in international news. Three of our guests represent the Committee to Protect Journalists, an organization founded to prevent murder, attacks, kidnappings, imprisonment, or other violent or illegal attempts to muzzle journalists around the world. They are Terry Anderson, an author, speaker, and honorary co-chair of the Committee to Protect Journalists. Terry suffered seven years as a hostage held captive by Shiite Muslim radicals in Lebanon. He was kidnapped in Beirut, where he was at the time bureau chief for the Associated Press. Syed Javed Nazir, a journalism fellow at the University of Michigan, and before that, editor of the Frontier Post, a newspaper in Peshawar, Lahore, Pakistan. The paper was shut down, and his life was threatened for the articles that he ran. Alex Lupus, director of the CPJ's European and Central Asian programs. And our fourth guest is Chris Waddell, executive editor and vice president for news of the Anniston, Alabama Star. Chris works for a small town newspaper that champions the idea of exclusive international coverage for its readers. Welcome to all of you. Let's start with Terry Anderson. Terry, tell us why you think that any of our listeners should be concerned about the safety of news people doing their jobs anymore, any more than they're concerned with people who openly put their lives at risk, policemen, firemen, doctors, whatever. Well, when a fireman dies or when a policeman dies, don't we honor him? Don't we care about him? Don't we recognize that his is a life of service? Uh, in fact, most people don't recognize that foreign correspondents are performing a public service, a very valuable one and a dangerous one. Um, 37 journalists died around the world last year. 118 of them are in jail. Um, most of those are local journalists working for local media in countries that do not recognize, as we do, freedom of the press. Um, but yes, our foreign correspondents covering places like Afghanistan put themselves in danger so that you can read the foreign news over your coffee in the morning or see it on television in the evening. Now, do you care about that? I think it's widely recognized after September 11th that Americans do care about the world. They'd better care about the world. Um, 
since September 11th, of course, there has been a big increase in concern for international events. But before September 11th, um, we were told by editors and uh, news producers for broadcast that the American people just were not interested in international news. Uh, Chris, uh, what do you think about that? Well, it's that it's not true, and that the uh, actual studies uh, show just the opposite, and that's pointed out uh, many times at uh, in meetings of editors, and I think that it will change. It will change probably uh, at uh, locally owned papers like my own faster than it will at big organizations. But I wanted to respond to something uh, Terry said, and, and it's not a disagreement, but I do conjecture that the death of Danny Pearl is going to change public attitudes. I think that uh, the nation got wrapped up in that, and particularly uh, you know, with the coming uh, birth of uh, a child that he's never going to see. And I think uh, there'll be a greater recognition, and, and as an editor, I can say, uh, I think uh, we'll be sending more Danny Pearls abroad, and, and we need to. I was shocked by two things this week as an editor. One, that uh, uh, a, a retired general said on the CNN yesterday that there are American forces now in 70 countries abroad. And I was shocked by the realization that there is no front line in this war. Uh, it's everywhere in the world. And uh, we simply are not doing our jobs uh, uh, as journalists if we don't get out into that world and report what, what's happening. And the other thing is the Gallup poll showing uh, the great disconnect between the Muslim world and the United States in understanding of what is going on. And the journalists uh, must be the mediating influence in uh, making that reconnect. I'm enormously encouraged by, by hearing a small-town newspaper man commit himself to international news coverage uh, because uh, I think and have thought for many years that the perception that Americans don't want international news in the newspaper is a perception of the editors, not of the readers. It's what we call the gatekeeper problem. It might be a front office problem. It's very expensive to send uh, people abroad. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason why there are so few broadcasting uh, uh, reporters abroad, and they all live in London and fly out, uh, and the reason so many papers... Uh, they can buy $10,000 bottles of wine in London. Well, they, they, <laughs> they may try that. And uh, uh, I think the people that the editors who are closest to their readers, and that tends to be community newspapers, are more attuned to the need to get abroad. And, and happily, their uh, Knight Foundation and some other uh, support groups have made it possible for us uh, to get people abroad. Don't forget the biggest bargain in journalism, the AP Foreign Wire. Well, indeed. Um, you can get news about the entire world. And most newspapers, the AP uh, has as members in the United States virtually every newspaper in the country. But they don't use the stuff. They, they get this huge foreign report, first-class reporting, from 80 or 90 different countries, and it comes into their computers and they don't use it. Bear in mind also, it's a, it's a mistake to think that you must have an expensive bureau overseas to do 
overseas coverage. Uh, a lot of the international story can be done at home, uh, including the story about Muslims and the Muslim religion, the, which, by the way, is the fastest growing religion in the United States of America. There are more Muslims than Presbyterians in the United States. Uh, far more than Episcopalians, and uh, frankly, they're more enjoyable people to be around. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Speaking, as, speaking as an Episcopalian. I think our telephones may start ringing. <laughs> it was interesting to me uh, last year, the Columbus Dispatch, one of the better middle American newspapers, did a survey of its own community. Now, this is truly middle America. And they found a surprisingly large number, proportion, of the population of Columbus and its environs with international connections. There are people who are either immigrants, children of immigrants, uh, married to foreign-born people, uh, who had traveled overseas, who had some connection with the world, and who wanted to know about it. Maybe it was a, only a slice of the world. They wanted to know about Pakistan because they have family there, or they wanted to know about uh, Africa because they traveled there. But they had a connection with the world and wanted to maintain it through their, their Saeed, um, you have been in this country now for several months. Yeah. Um, you have had a chance to judge how Americans treat international news. Uh, what do you think? Um, is it, uh, are Americans as interested as, as most Pakistanis in international news? Uh, when I came here 10 years ago uh, as a Fulbright scholar, uh, I've I looked at the American newspapers in the morning, the front page, and uh, I was surprised that uh, there were very little foreign news reflected on page one. And uh, I, I talked about this with my colleagues, uh, and, and I discovered that all news is local. But uh, in the, uh, after 10 years, a lapse of 10 years, that I've come back here now, I find a dramatic transformation. And uh, f of course, there's a focus is a lot more on foreign news, but all this has been uh, prompted by September 11, and uh, I think it's a it's a change for healthy change, and uh, I, there's bound to be a lot more interest in foreign news compared to Pakistan. I think, uh, although Pakistan is a relatively um, uneducated society, we just have 37 to 38 percent literacy rate, but the interest in foreign news, what happens around the globe. I think it's far more pronounced. I have no other way of explaining that. But the United States is a big country, so most people want to know what's happening here. And what, whatever it does is um, affects the entire world. And uh, historically also, people in the subcontinent tend to discuss a lot about what happens overseas. Alex Lupus, uh, you work for the Committee of uh, Tech Journalists. Uh, how much support does the committee get from the American people for its work? Uh, we, get, we get quite a lot of support. Most of our supporters are American journalists, uh, American media companies, and American foundations who are committed um, to promoting press freedom. Um, I think what a lot of our supporters realize is that um, journalists are very often the first targets overseas. When a, when a government wants to crack down um, and become more authoritarian and take rights away from the people, um, the, the press is usually the first target because they don't want them to get information about what's going on. Um, so most of our supporters in the U.S. realize the strong link that press freedom overseas has with political um, and economic and national security issues that affect our foreign policy in our country. 
Alex, I have been expecting uh, somebody to, to say, and so maybe I will suggest it since no one else has, I, I believe that more journalists have died uh, in uh, Afghanistan than American GIs. Now, um, most of those were international journalists, uh, not, not exclusively Americans, but uh, I would be interested in your organization uh, uh, if, if if my suggestion turns out to be true, uh, mm-hmm. I think that would be an important thing to tell Americans. I, I, I wonder, aside from accidents, which are inevitable, the crash of a helicopter, that is dying from hostile fire... Well, the combat deaths have just been two or three, and one was right. actually in, in a CIA. I think mm-hmm. now, with all, as, as you put it, the accidental deaths, the, the number of military casualties is probably higher. But in the beginning of the war, before those accidents, you're right, there were more journalists killed. And it's uh, interesting that the American military won't allow journalists to go up on the front lines with them. They tell us, to, they tell us it's too dangerous. Well, obviously, it's dangerous uh, wherever you are, and there is, the front line is all around you. I don't mean to argue with our wonderful American military people, but uh, I've been hearing that for 25 years in every place I've ever seen the American military. Oh, it's too dangerous up there. You can't go up there. You well, might we know get it's killed. an excuse uh, to keep us from seeing. Okay, we have to take a break now. This is Global Journalist on KBIA. I'm Stuart Lurie, and we'll be right back. You're listening to A Blast from the Past, global journalist from 2002 with host Stuart Laurie as he speaks with guests live to tape, including Terry Anderson, an AP reporter held hostage by Hezbollah militants. Welcome back to Global Journalist. You may listen to this program again, ask questions, or make comments by going to www.globaljournalist.org or here in Mid-Missouri by calling us at 573-882-9641. Before the break, we were beginning to talk about uh, the impact of warfare on journalists and how great it is uh, these days. Uh, But there is also, uh, as Terry, you pointed out, uh, the problem of, of journalists these days uh, being um, somehow attacked before the, the real enemy. Um, that was not always the case. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in, in my days as a journalist, the only place where I ever felt under attack like that was in the American South covering the civil rights movement uh, and never uh, overseas. Uh, why has that changed overseas? It has changed uh, over the past uh, 15, 20 years. I can remember when I first arrived in Lebanon in 1982 in the midst of a terribly vicious war that had already gone on for six or seven years with the Israeli invasion, I could go anywhere and talk to anyone. I took my chances like everybody else. I might get caught by a sniper, I might get hit by a shell, and and people did die that way. But I wasn't a target. I could talk to Palestinians, to Lebanese, to Syrians, to Israelis, anybody. Cross the front lines, if I was willing to take the chance, and I was seen as somehow neutral even though I wasn't American. About 1984, that began to change with the rise of radical fundamentalist Islamic groups in Lebanon uh, who make no distinction between journalists and civilians or their great Satan enemy, 
you're an American or a Westerner or an Englishman. Um, and that was led to the kidnappings and killings of the mid-1980s in Lebanon. And since then, it's very clear that in many of the conflicts that journalists have covered, they are targets in themselves because of who they are. May I ask, uh, as an editor who sometimes sends people into touchy situations, uh, the European media send their reporters to uh, Wales to a combat uh, training school where they're not taught to fight, but they're taught to uh, what is safe and what is not safe and how to avoid danger. And to my knowledge, uh, we don't do that in this country. And isn't it time that we establish a um, short course uh, training program for uh, here's what mines look like and uh, here's how to uh, spot the setup? In fact, we do to a certain extent. The AP has begun doing that with some of their people. Uh, recognizing that they need to be trained in this area. Yeah, I've taught it for a number also, of years. I think at that school in Wales, as a matter yeah. of fact, that, that school is supported. And I have talked with the Marine Corps uh, at their, about setting up such a course for, for uh, journalists at the Marine Corps University. It's beginning to become more important because, remember, there, is, there are two generations now in America of young people who have no experience in the military since Vietnam. Uh, they don't know anything about it. Now, if I send you to Wall Street, I expect you to know what a stock is and what a bond is and what a put and a call is. And yet some of our organizations send people to cover wars who don't know the difference between an M16 and an F16, who wouldn't recognize a major if they saw one. Um, I can remember getting uh, shot at in the American South in the 60s, and uh, I can remember being afraid and uh, wondering what those uh, headlights uh, were in the rearview mirror, and, and you always were afraid of a, of a sheriff or a highway patrolman in Alabama late at night. But uh, we talked to each other, and we had older uh, journalists, more seasoned journalists, to uh, uh, is that going on now? Is there a place where uh, people on their first assignment can go to Terry Anderson and uh, others and Stu Lurie and, and say, well, tell me the stories and uh, tell me what to expect and tell me, uh, uh, you know, not how to lose my life. On an informal basis, yes. And, and phone correspondents frequently come to people like Javed <coughs> in Pakistan uh, and, and say, you know, tell me what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, they need to have a new look at it. Before they venture into a country or a new society, especially where there's a lot of radicalization, I think American journalists need to get a lot of briefing. Uh, get a lot of, uh, they should be filled up with all the necessary information, the working of the terrorist organizations in that country, or the people they are precisely going in uh, to do the stories on. There should be a detailed knowledge of the turf and the terrain and uh, other things. Bef I mean, nobody should just venture in without uh, acquiring the right knowledge. And uh, what happened to Daniel Pearl could partly be, a, you could, you could uh, place your finger on that. He went in uh, perhaps uh, not with total knowledge or what kind of people he was dealing with. And this led to all kinds of problems. If he had lang language skills, if he knew the network of working with the terrorist people, I think perhaps his uh, fate would have been slightly different. Yeah, you may not know that it, in, in 20 years of covering Asia and Africa and the Middle East, I rarely went into a country where we did not have a local person, a journalist, yes. working directly for the AP, working as a stringer for the AP, or simply a local journalist for a local paper who was willing to help me and guide me. Uh, I have been repeatedly saved by local people, and I've certainly been made to look a great deal wiser and more intelligent than I was by people who live there 
who knew the area uh, and, and, and were willing to help me and guide me. Funnily enough, last week at the CPJ Board of Directors meeting, we decided to do exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I have done some of this for my journalism classes where I've taught, asking my friends, uh, who are some of the top correspondents in the world, to send me uh, some of their thoughts on what a young journalist going into a dangerous area should know. And I, would, I taught that for several years, and now we're going to try to assemble uh, in a book uh, at, as much of that body of knowledge that all these wonderful correspondents like Christian Amapur and, and Peter Arnett and others have developed over the years so that we can pass it on to younger journalists. That will be an important book for young journalists. I'd like to move away from the question of danger to American correspondence, which is mostly what we've been talking about, uh, to talk about um, encroachments on press freedom uh, to correspondents from around the world. Uh, Javed, you have had uh, serious problems. Your life has been threatened. Uh, the two of you are going off to uh, Russia right after your visit to Colombia uh, to intercede for a Russian journalist who is now in jail for what he has been doing. Um, what is the situation involving reporters getting into trouble? We're trying to write the truth around the world, and what are we doing about it, and what should we be doing about it? That is the reason that the CPJ exists, and it's what we do every day. It's what Alex does every day. Um, by far, most of the journalists who, who get in trouble are local journalists like Javid, who get in trouble with their own government. It is the government that puts them in jail, or has them beaten, or, or threatens them, or on occasion, has them killed. Um, there are unfortunately many places in the world where governments are run by people who do not believe in freedom of the press. Um, we have had over 600 instances last year of documented cases of attacks on the press around the world. There are 118 journalists in jail as we speak. Um, the CPJ exists to help those people. Uh, to do what they can for them, as we did for Javed when he was under attack and under threat. Uh, and as Alex does every day for people in <laughs> Eastern Europe and Central Asia, to tell, tell them about some of the cases that you have now. Yeah, um, I, I was just going to say, I mean, the vast majority of cases that we do handle are actually uh, journalists covering corruption or war crimes uh, or organized crime because those are the issues that embarrass the government the most. So when an incident does come up, uh, we use using English language wire services, Russian language wire services, contacts with local journalist associations. We document it thoroughly um, and issue press releases, sometimes protest letters directly to the head of state um, to let them know that we're monitoring very closely what they're doing, that we're going to publicize in the West, in Washington, D.C., in London, in Rome, in Paris, to make sure Western policymakers know what they're doing um, to try to get them to back off. And in, in cases like um, our, our mission to Russia. Um, this is a journalist who simply reported that the Russian Navy was dumping unprocessed nuclear waste into the Sea of Japan. Um, and so they put him in jail for it. He reported it. Um, he appealed his convictions to the Russian Supreme Court. The Russian Supreme Court threw out the convictions, and he's still in jail. What's yeah. going on there? The Russian democratic and judicial system is not as well developed as a democracy as we would hope. In America, if the Supreme Court overturns a law, then people convicted under that law are automatically released. The law is unconstitutional, the arrest is wrong, you go free. 
that doesn't necessarily seem to follow in, in Russia these days. Uh, the Supreme Court has overturned the law under which he was convicted, and he remains in jail. Uh, what we're going to do is go over and, you know, President Putin and government officials were embarrassed by what this man reported. As important as these big cases are, I'm convinced that there are innumerable ones that are uh, unknown and unreported. A good friend in Argentina, uh, as investigator reporter, has to have an unlisted phone, yet someone called his wife and said, we know the birth weight of your baby and the exact minute he was born. Clearly, the government uh, provided that information. I'm just back from the Balkans, uh, from teaching at uh, Bulgaria, where... Uh, I encountered many cases that don't get reported to your organization, but clear intimidation. Uh, the problem is uh, wider and deeper uh, than we know. Oh, it goes on every day, certainly. We can't handle every case. Journalists around the world fight this daily. Yeah, on a daily basis. And it's not necessarily the government which is the major offender. At times in countries like Pakistan, you have groups uh, which are almost like militias. Uh, religious parties have their militant arm. And these are the people who are feared most, and they are the ones who block journalists. And if you're working on an expose or you're revealing something, these are the people who, who block your way. And, and if you don't uh, uh, pay your attention to their threats, then they have other ways of dealing with you. In a lot of countries, it's drug dealers and people who are growing narcotic drug products. It's a big uh, problem in Colombia. It's a it's huge problem in, in Colombia. Uh, and the problem there is not only kidnapping and murder by the drug dealers, but it's a big business. Uh, you kidnap somebody um, and uh, you take them hostage and, and call for a ransom. Yeah, it's a commercial enterprise. It's, uh, it's very complicated in Colombia and has been for many years between the paramilitary pro-government rightists and the leftist guerrillas and the narco-traffickers, who are kind of uh, not necessarily separate from the first two groups, uh, and the people who kidnap for money, is very, very, one of the most dangerous places in the world to work. But don't leave out the uh, white slavers in Serbal uh, Croatia and the old-fashioned black market. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, those tough guys can also be uh, uh, the enemy of journalists. But, uh, you know, don't let us get too discouraged here, because despite of everything that we have talked about, and despite the 600 cases that Alex and and the others have documented at the CPJ, local journalists in these places like Pakistan and, and Colombia and Sierra Leone and other places, they do a wonderful day-to-day -day job of fighting these attempts to muzzle the press. It is amazing to me, for instance, in Iran last year when they shut down all those newspapers. It wasn't amazing to me that the Iranian government shut down the newspapers. It was amazing to me that there were 30 newspapers willing to publish anti-government news and that there were millions of readers who wanted to read it which made it a danger to the government. Well, that, that was uh, Javed's case in Pakistan also. Uh, are you going to be able to go back to Pakistan? Well, hopefully, yes. Uh, things are changing. President Musharraf is trying to get the situation under control. And uh, he's a moderate, and I believe he's got a battle on his hands. Uh, whether he's going to succeed, it's very hard. It's premature for me to say. But uh, there are reasons to be optimistic, and uh, I think once the situation changes for the better, which means if he can rein in the religious elements, I, there's a hope for me to go back and resume normal life. Okay, we've got about 45 seconds left. Uh, tell us, Alex, if you would, about uh, how confident you are that you're going to be able to do something for Grigory Pasco in Russia. 
Well, this is a very key time for us to send a mission because he has a, an appeal pending with the military section of the Supreme Court. So we're going to go and meet with uh, political and military officials in Vladivostok, in Moscow. We're going to hold press conferences. We're going to make sure people in Russia know what's going on um, and put as much pressure as we can on the government. Terry, you think it's going to work? I wouldn't be going if I didn't think we had a chance. He may have embarrassed the government with what he reported, and what we're going to make clear is that we will embarrass them further if they keep him in jail, and that's the only weapon we have. Well, good luck to you, and uh, Javed, good luck to you. It's nice to have you all here in Columbia. We are out of time, though, and I'm Thank sorry about much. that. Our Thank guests you. today have been Terry Anderson, Syed Javed Nazir, Alex Lupus, and Chris Waddell. Our director is Mary Furness, and our producer is Sarah Andreo Fajardo. For all, I'm Stuart Lurie, and Global Journalist will be back next week. That was the late Stuart Lurie speaking with representatives from the Committee to Protect Journalists, including Terry Anderson, who was at that point the longest-held American hostage eventually released in Lebanon. With producers Samantha Wagan, Mina Tian, and Tani Wilson, I'm Cassidy Arena, and thanks for listening back in time to Global Journalists.